and welcome to Digital Health Unplugged, coming to you from kitchens, bedrooms and home offices across the UK to make sure you keep up to date with all of the healthcare IT news you need. Now, one of the biggest stories in the sector at the moment is, of course, the government's U-turn on the contact tracing app. And we absolutely could not run a podcast without talking about it. So joining me today is Hannah Crouch, Digital Health Editor. Hi, everyone. And John Hoeksmer, Digital Health Editor-in-Chief. Hi, Andrew. So now, the contact tracing app. It's been very big news for a number of months now, uh, possibly not always for the right reasons. It's been plagued by privacy concerns and it's faced a lot of criticism uh, over the way it's been collecting data, mainly over the government's decision to develop a centralised model which would see all of the data collected by the app. Uh, held in a central NHS database. But all of that, of course, changed on the 18th of June when the government announced it was abandoning its model for the contact tracing app in favour of Apple and Google's technology, uh, which for months they'd been telling us they weren't going to do. So that was an interesting decision. Um, So this will now be based on a decentralised approach, which Apple and Google have always favoured, and that will mean that data is only ever shared between devices, which privacy experts have argued is safest and has less risk of data breach and mission creep. Uh, When they announced the change, they said they would be working with tech giants to develop a companion style app, which would support the entire end-to-end NHS test and trace service that was launched on the 28th of May. Uh, But we still don't really know what that app will look like and what that actually means. Uh, On top of that, we've now learned that the entire process for developing and trialling the app has cost us £11.8 million so far. And we still don't know when we're actually going to have a usable app in the public domain. So John and Hannah, um, this is a fairly sizable shift in the government's approach. What do you think of the U-turn? I guess I was somewhat surprised. Um, I was trying to be as optimistic as possible with the app and I tried to remain positive when, you know, the test and trace program was released without the app. You know, I was like, oh, it's going to come soon. You know, you have to have faith in the NHS and NHS acts about it will come eventually. Um, so I was quite surprised when we got that announcement that they, they were abandoning it completely because it, it is quite, you know, U-turn, I think, is a, a phrase that's kind of banded about quite, um, quite often especially when it comes to news stories and journalism. But this is a pretty seismic U-turn. You've gone from, we're going down this route and we're going to have this um, app, we're going to do this kind of model of it, we're going to kind of ignore everyone else, um, to suddenly say, oh, we've done one trial of it on the Isle of Wight on quite a small scale. Oh, well, you know, we're going to try something completely different. So I guess I was quite surprised um, that they made quite a, a, you know, a statement and said, you know, actually, to be fair, let's just abandon everything that we've done so far and go back to what everyone's been telling us to do for months. So I was, I was quite surprised. Yeah, I was quite surprised, but then I wasn't quite surprised at the same time because um, I had been told for so long that Apple and Google's approach was more favourable. Um, globally, this was happening. It wasn't just in the UK. And compared to what other countries were doing, the UK very much seemed to be doing their own thing, which, you know, credit to them, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, I could entirely see the benefits of having collected the data themselves because, you know, it allows for better research, it allows uh, better decisions around, like, it, it gives epidemiologists more access to the data to make better decisions. So I understood that. Um, but it also seemed slightly odd that, you know, you had Apple and Google coming in saying, actually, we know how to do this, this is what we suggest might be better. And that's kind of their whole job. Like, they make technology like this all the time. Like they're used to consumers having to use it. And it did strike me as slightly odd that still NHSX are saying, no, no, we're going to give it our own go first. And we're going to 
make our own version when they've not really ever done anything like this before. So that sort of struck me, which is why I wasn't entirely surprised when the decision came through a couple of weeks ago, um, because I think I think it almost seemed like it was inevitable in the end. Well, I mean, I suppose there's, um, there's an argument for saying um, at least they switched. They, they didn't stick with this to the, the very bitter end. Um, the I mean, there's been kind of um, observed that the government's handling of um, the COVID-19 crisis hasn't exactly been kind of flawless. And um, I forget who said it, but um, uh, there was a pithy kind of observation that um, it's done all the right things at exactly the wrong time throughout this crisis. And unfortunately, I think the app kind of um, falls in as part of that. Um, the, you know, there was a claim over the weekend that no one's got kind of contact tracing apps um, right not really true. I think Germany's made a fair old fist of it is, um, is one example. But other countries have, you know, have got into kind of similar problems. Um, Norway was made to drop its national app um, by data protection authorities because it was hoovering up too much um, information stored in a national database. This is difficult. I mean, I think this is, this is a classic definition of wicked problems, ones which are new, unfamiliar, and which your past experience doesn't kind of guide you. Um, it does seem odd that, that NHSX has, has sought to kind of um, go its own way. Um, I think, you know, Matt Hancock was um, truly stretching the, the limits of um, credulity when he said um, that, you know, um, Google and Apple were learning lessons from what NHSX were doing. Well, maybe they were on how not to do things. Um, but the proof is really, is it going to work and when's it going to appear? And we simply don't know. When, when is this kind of app um, going to appear? Um, you know, is it going to be useful as part of a, a national um, contact track and trace kind of um, strategy? It's not looking very likely at the moment. Um, there was a, sorry, please, Andrew. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, no, it doesn't look very likely, um, especially given the, the results of the field tests that they um, announced when they decided, well, when they told us they were changing to Apple and Google's um, model. I mean, the stats around it weren't looking very good. Um, NHSX's version was quite good at detecting um, how long it was near another Android device. I think it was about 75% accurate, but with iPhones, it was only 4% accurate, which is, I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to describe it. That's really appalling. Like you can't, it just defeats the purpose of contact tracing if you can't even detect when it is near another device and for how long. Um, but then Apple and Google's had the same issue. They weren't, Apple and Google's version was really quite bad at detecting distance. So you know, those are two of the key elements of contact tracing is time and distance. And if you can't track that, we don't have an eligible solution at the moment. Um, and that's globally, I think. I, I think it's far too soon to say whether any country has a working app yet because they've only really been in place for a couple of months. Um, I think that's, a dis that, that's an opinion that can be formed, you know, in a year or two when they've actually had a chance to achieve something. But I think so, so much kind of emphasis was um, put on to contact tracing kind of um, app um, as part of the kind of um, key part of the kind of um, you know, approach to um, being able to kind of track and trace um, people with COVID-19. That, you know, the concern is that's been at the expense of building up, um, you know, the, the kind of um, capability, largely person-based, of actually doing the difficult work, um, but well understood and um, and kind of, you know, all about kind of scale and, and thoroughness of, you know, tracking people, phoning them, um, who they've been in contact with. 
and had efforts perhaps been um, sort of better focused in that direction, I think we'd be in a better place. And the concern is, of course, that without a really good track and trace um, national system and infrastructure in place, um, then we're going to get into all kinds of problems um, as lockdown um, eases and, um, and um, you know, the, the fears of second, third spikes um, emerge. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, to start with, this app was sort of supposed to be this big digital part of the track and trace system. And it, I mean, I thought, and I think quite a few people were under the impression that we weren't going to be able to ease lockdown measures until we had a decent track and trace system in place. Um, we obviously do have one in place at the moment. It doesn't use an app. It just relies on human contact tracers to call people. Um, and obviously the, the first stats out of that showed that a third of people were unable to be reached, which is still quite concerning. Um, but yeah, I'm stuck like <laughs> the fact that we don't have an app with this yet and we are already starting to ease some lockdown measures um, with further measures being re um, relaxed on the 4th of July. I'm starting to wonder if we're ever going to get an app at all. Um, I mean, obviously I'm ever so cynical all the time but it does seem to look like you know given the fact that we've had missed deadlines you know they've been very silent on when an actual rollout date for the app is coming um i wouldn't be surprised if it just sort of quietly dies down and gets sidelined and it doesn't actually eventuate but maybe that's me being extremely cynical who knows Andrew, I think that's far too cynical, particularly um, when it's been excitingly rebranded, um, according to the FT this morning, there's PPE in your pocket. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I, um, I did read that story. Um, I had a little bit of laugh at PPE in your pocket um, just because it's not PPE. So, I mean, I understand the premise of that. I understand why they've gone with that. But the app isn't actually PPE, um, which I think might confuse a few people. Um, but yeah, something else I wanted to mention um, is obviously the massive cost that this this um has cost us so far 11.8 million pounds um it's an eye-watering figure for an app that we haven't seen um so you know the sheer cost of it has caused some people to question whether somebody needs to take responsibility for this uh hannah you tuned into a house of lords session a couple of weeks ago um about this what were ministers being asked about the app yeah so as uh, you can imagine there's quite a lot of uh sort of questions about the app um this is the session where they they the lord uh, i think it's bethnal uh, revealed it was 11.8 million um to date that it's cost which what you said like you said is an extraordinary amount for a, a trial of an app that is now ceased to to exist well not ceased to exist i don't think it's using it at the moment from what i saw on twitter um but there were a lot of questions um being asked about accountability and whether NHSX or the Department of Health or both need to take accountability for what happened. And a lot of them were asking for resignations. They wanted, you know, people to own up to what they've done. And, you know, the, you can sense there's, there's a lot of anger um, and you can see it on social media as well. There's, there's a lot of frustration at what's happened and how it's all panned out. And there's kind of been a bit of radio silence on, you know, on the other end. I mean, in response, the, the Lord said, uh, Lord Bethnal, sorry, um, said, you know, I, I don't think anyone needs to be sacked for this. So, you know, I don't think it, you know, there needs to be any accountability taken. You know, they've done a really great job, but I think there needs to be some form of this is what's gone wrong. And, you know, this is what we're doing. So there is a lot of frustration around it and people want their questions answered and they want 
they do maybe want someone to to take the hit and and you know be sacked for it yeah i think sacking is is harsh um because on, on the one hand i do feel quite sorry for them because this is a huge task and they've never had to do anything like it before um and we've never you know we've never seen anything like coronavirus in the uk before so i understand that this was a really difficult task for them but i do think some accountability needs to be taken um especially given that there has been so much negative press around it um we've been writing about this since march at digital health news and to be honest i don't think there's really been that many good headlines has there we've had privacy experts warning about the centralized approach um there's also been some serious concerns raised about the fact that it relies on the self-reporting of symptoms um because that could increase false positive results um and therefore people will lose trust in the app and then stop listening to the app so it kind of just defeats the purpose of having one um and this was something that the government's own ethics advisory board had warned of and that's you know a government set up board to oversee the development of the app so you know i think there was a lot of warning in place and i think there was a lot of a lot of option for NHSX and the government to start working with Apple and Google maybe sooner. Um, so I do think some responsibility needs to be taken here and they need to kind of explain why it took them so long to have made this decision when it seemed like it was likely to happen months ago. And also what they've spent the money on so far, because that's a lot of public funds that at a time when we're battling a global pandemic potentially could have been used a little bit better I, you know i don't think the nhs just has 11 million pounds in their back pocket to spend on an experimental app so we definitely need to see a breakdown of all of that i think um it's just whether or not they will and and when uh, andrew if i could just come in on this one um i think money money's always kind of important to make sure public funds are well spent but compared to the vast cost running to hundreds of billions um of covid19 um, let alone the kind of um, cost of lives, uh, you know, 11 million pounds, it's, it's a drop in the ocean. I think what really kind of counts here is, is, is whether it works. And I think where, where I think there's been a real cost is opportunity cost of, of missed opportunity and time. Um, certainly there's been some reporting in the national press that, um, you know, that there has been a reluctance um, and even kind of, um, you know, um, a kind of refusal to kind of um, work with other apps um, which have been kind of um, you know um, in use um, for instance from Kings um, on COVID kind of um, symptom kind of reporting uh, which could have offered benefit um, and um, I think also kind of um, you know the, the kind of wider kind of view that we've been getting from some independent kind of um, experts such as the independent SAGE um, committee um, has been that you know we need a much more localized approach to um, testing and tracing um, and you know, it, it, I think part of the problem is that, that this is being driven by a very centralized national response rather than sort of, um, you know, um, drawing on expertise that exists already or having a kind of broader kind of coalition of responses um, helping to um, try and kind of puzzle out this stuff, which is really hard. Um, so, you know, 11 million. I think you know that's cheap. Um, you know, 110 million if it worked would um, would be fine. Um, it's money being spent without actually kind of um, having the kind of capabilities that we need um, as a society to get through the next phases of this. Yeah, I mean, I know 11.8 million isn't huge compared to what normal tech would cost, but I do think it's a lot of money to have spent on something that isn't working, and I think it's that's a lot true. of money to have spent on something that 
they've kind of had warnings weren't going to work for a few months now. Um, and something that now worries me quite a lot coming out of this is there's been so much negative press and there's, there's been so much concern raised around this app that I'm, I think that it might deter people from downloading it. And I think we have been in a really lucky place in the UK that trust in the NHS is so high and people are always willing to do what they need to do to help the NHS. But now I think fewer people are likely to download the app, um, which kind of defeats the purpose because you need a huge chunk of the population to be using it in order for it to be successful. Um, but I guess <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see how many people download it when we get the app, um, whenever that is, because we still don't have we still don't have a date. Um, John, I also wanted to ask you, um, you're obviously in regular contact with our digital health networks. What has their reaction been to this U-turn? I think like um, a, lo a lot of kind of um, um, people, um, they're just a bit kind of frustrated and disappointed um, that um, things promised haven't, haven't been um, delivered. But um, I mean, I think, again, I, I would put this in the context of, um, you know, during the early kind of months of, um, of the kind of crisis, we saw a remarkable amount of kind of um, solidarity um, in people kind of adhering to lockdown regulations, following kind of very clear government guidance. Um, and, you know, it, I think that, that, that national consensus in the face of ISIS has become frayed um, at the very kind of least. Ever since sort of Barnard Castle, um, I think, you know, we've seen kind of... Um, British public kind of um, beginning to kind of say, well, you know what, I'm, I'll, I'll take a view myself on, on what's safe and, and what isn't and um, the level of risk I'm prepared to take. Um, so, you know, is the app missed opportunities? I kind of suspect it is, but, you know, we probably won't know for sure um, until the kind of, um, you know, first draft of history on this gets um, written. Um, you, you were suggesting it's going to quietly get dropped at some stage. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't bet against that entirely, kind of, um, Andrea. Um, so what am I picking up from, from some of the networks? Um, well, there's certainly, certainly an increase in, in cynicism, I think, about kind of um, where this is going at the moment. I, I don't think it's going to be dropped completely. I just think it's going to be launched in a completely different format. And it's kind of that was hinted by uh, NHSX's CEO, Matthew Gould, in the, the committee where he, you know, said that, Apple and Google would slow them down, blah, yada, yada, yada. And he said, you know, you know this, this app's going to be developed. And I think they're going to completely redevelopment if the sort of briefs that they're in the Financial Times would be to believe as sort of like a, a companion. So, you know, they're saying it's going to have like a Geiger meter kind of, you know, showing, you know, how serious um, an outbreak is in a localized area where you are, you know, counting down your like days of self isolation. I just think it's going to be sort of like a, not like a kid's sort of app, but like, you know, here are your handy, you know, lockdown tips, for, you know, self-isolation and that kind of, I think it will just be a very, very, very watered down version, um, which maybe doesn't, you know, have any tracking in it at all, but it'll still be like a tracking, tracing app type thing, but it won't maybe do what it was originally entailed to do. Yeah. Um, Dido Harding sort of suggested this in the briefing um, when they were saying that they were switching to Apple and Google's model um, and mentioned the companion style app because it's going to be something that now follows you through the entire journey. So provides you with helpful tips on how to get through isolation, um, you know, checks in and make sure you're OK. Whereas before it was obviously just supposed to be tracing only where it was 
you know, noting who you'd come into contact with and alerting you if you needed to isolate and therefore get a coronavirus test. So I think they're looking at like a, a broader sense of what the app could do now. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it could mean that maybe tracing is less of a focus of it now. So it'll be really interesting to see how that looks when it is rolled out. Another thing I was also going to say is we have obviously you've guys have mentioned pubs reopening in July uh, well next week actually or no this week sorry get my timing right um, on the 4th of July so pubs and restaurants and one of the things that's been put forward is for these pubs and restaurants to create their own apps where they log you know people that have visited areas um, and they have to kind of make a record of everyone that's been there so if someone does contract coronavirus they can you know contact and places that they visited and they can then contact others and that's also um you know brought with it its own privacy concerns and could that be a way of them you know having that kind of function of the, it's down to the pubs and the restaurants to kind of keep the contact details of people um in a, in a tracing program yeah because then that those details would obviously be sent to the nhs test and trace service yeah. um um which would rely on human people to human people <laughs> <laughs> people to to contact you know people that have been in the restaurant when somebody may have been diagnosed um but yeah i think you're right i think that creates its own privacy issues in itself because a i don't know how much or how willing everyone will be to hand over their numbers i think most people will um especially if it's for the sake of going to the pub because let's be honest we've all missed that um but yeah it it seems that if that's the way we're going to have to go about it the app isn't like it doesn't seem essential anymore because there is a way around it. So um, I guess, yeah, I think it will be sort of delayed even further, which might not be a bad thing because the field test did suggest that the tech doesn't work very well. And I would far rather they spent time developing an app that will work before it's released than giving us something that doesn't work and having everyone just ignore the advice that's given to them through the app anyway. So I think that's probably smart. I think the fact that we're moving on to kind of um, pub openings and some of this kind of business about kind of people self-reporting to um, to pub landlords, to restaurants, um, I think that's worth exploring a little bit more um, because um, it goes back to that kind of people just going, yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to do that yet or I'll, I'll judge for myself yet. So, you know, there was a Mac cartoon the other day um saying oh my god i'm gonna have to alert mickey mouse elvis and um you know um and um, boris johnson um that someone came in with COVID 19 the point being is you know are people really going to give their their data what's going to happen to it? it it goes to hannah's point yeah um see I, th I think we've missed the moment on on the contact tracing app yeah um, they're never going to get the kind of the take up um that they needed um and I think there is an opportunity missed, um, particularly in not having done things um, with things like the King's app on, on self-reporting, which had a real um, head of steam very early on in all this, didn't it? Yeah, I think um, in terms of what you're saying, like people kind of saying that they're called Mickey Mouse or Elvis, I think that's, that's a real, real big problem. And I know we've spoken about it before, about the whole idea about misreporting and because people you know, they may not be allowed to go into a pub or a restaurant without giving a name or a contact details, they'll just make it up. And, you know, that then, you know, it warrants the whole project and programme, you know, it just it means it won't work. And I think maybe there was a missed opportunity and maybe they should have reacted quicker or worked with people like from Kings and, and various other apps that were around. And 
I get the sense now that, you know, July 4th is coming around and pubs are reopening and, and restaurants and a lot of, you know, there has been a lot of reporting on the fact that people are acting as if COVID doesn't exist anymore and that it's not a problem. And then you come back to the issue of, well, people are going to be like, well, I don't need to bother, you know, reporting myself as getting symptoms or, you know, reporting that I've been somewhere because COVID's not an issue. You know, I saw a lot of people being interviewed over the weekend saying, oh, you know, well, it's, it's, it's not it's not in society anymore it's not here and i think that's a real issue at the moment and i think that will probably not tarnish the the, the tracing app it's just i think it's just going to mean that it's maybe not needed because it's, there's a concern as to whether people actually will use it so i think you're on absolutely the right track because i think um again we've had this um remarkable level of solidarity and consensus through the um through the kind of um early months of um the crisis where people were willing to self-isolate they were willing to put their regular lives on a hold to bear the economic kind of consequences um, of that although with furloughing that's that's been limited for um, certainly um, a portion of the population um, but I think people have normalized the level of risk I mean now the kind of like very high death rates have um, fallen away um, for most people who are relatively um, lower risk um, you know younger folks um, than myself then you know, COVID does feel a bit distant, a bit kind of um, a bit remote. And so, you know, people packing Bournemouth Beach, um, are they all completely irrational? I mean, they've got a view of um, of kind of the risk to themselves where, you know, um, potential risk of COVID low, risk of drinking cider in the sun on Bournemouth Beach high. Hmm, I think I know which one I'll do. Yeah, I think people are also getting fatigued of the restrictions, which I totally understand, but they are there for a reason. Um, I found it really interesting uh, last week hearing a few people suggesting that, first of all, the government um, announcing that it was going to be relaxing some further restrictions on the 4th of July, and then also cancelling the daily press briefings kind of just sent the message to the general public that this pandemic is over and we no, no, we no longer need to be on top of it and worrying uh, like we were but I don't think that's the case um, and I yeah I think as you were saying Hannah the interviews from the weekend of people saying oh well it's not really in society anymore um, I think one of them was like oh I don't really know anyone that's had coronavirus so it's not really a problem um, you know I think yeah I just think there's been some mixed messaging in the last few weeks that have led people to believe that it's probably safer than it is and that we won't we won't see a second spike um, but also I, I do really feel like if the government advisors and, you know, people that are high up in the decision making process aren't going to listen to their own rules. Since then, everyone's just kind of thought, well, if they're not going to, why should I? And, you know, I think that totally defeats the purpose of what they're trying to achieve with contact tracing, because I think that will lead to more people not wanting to hand over their number um, to let the government know where they've been, because, you know, they've just got the attitude of why should they at the moment? And I can't say that I blame them given everything that has happened in the last um, couple of months with the government. I think the consequences of this, if, if, um, if we do have um, a flare up and um, it, it kind of comes back with a vengeance because we haven't got a decent kind of contact tracing system because we haven't, um, you know, managed to kind of, um, kind of, you know, contain COVID-19 in the way that we, we should have done by now. Um, you only need to look at the US. The US um, has, um, you know, in the last few days, um, had to kind of go into sharp reversal um, on kind of isolation in, in Texas, in Florida. It's back to infection levels that um, 
you know, were kind of um, previously seen in April, you know, this can very easily um, go back again. And um, there's been plenty of kind of warnings about it, but um, the danger in all this is that unless we get a decent kind of, um, you know, um, test and trace system um, working and the one that people believe in, um, we're going to be in all kinds of trouble. A big sort of motto I always find with NHSIT and sort of technology is learning from lessons of the past. And you would hope that, you know, the NHS will be looking at countries like the US and realising that there is a real possibility of a second spike and a second wave and making sure that if, you know, this does happen and we need the tech in place, that they at least make sure they stick to it and don't kind of go off target and create a barcode system but you know they do create technology that even if it is ready for winter but at least it potentially will work and could help you know with the second wave and make sure that you know no more lives are lost or you know not as many lives are lost yeah i really hope the same thing too because i don't think anyone wants to have to redo lockdown um i don't think people are thinking of that when they're gathering in parks and on beaches um because they're just happy for the freedom but I really don't want to have to go back into it. Um, and I, I feel like I was quite lucky. It wasn't a really difficult thing for me because I've, I've got an outdoor space and, you know, I, I live with great housemates and, but then I know people that are in isolation on their own and they found it really hard. And I don't want them to have to do that again because of some, you know, silly decisions made by the public and also a, a poor track and trace system that was put in place by the government. So I really do hope that we can use technology um, to prevent that from happening in the future. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, as always, John and Hannah, it's been lovely having you on Digital Health Unplugged. And thank you to all of our listeners at home for tuning in. Don't forget, we publish fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and all the other podcasting platforms. And we are always keen to hear from our listeners. So if you have a podcast suggestion, please do get in contact. You can email me at adowney, that's D-O-W-N-E-Y, at digitalhealth.net. Look after yourselves, everyone, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>